Hey, what's going on, everyone? How you guys doing today? My name is Matt Jarbo. Welcome back, Milk Carton Mysteries, episode number 24. Today is the 30th of July, 2020. The end of the month, August, is almost upon us. And today, my friends, is still, as every day, a wild day. There's always crazy things going on. There's always crazy things happening, and you can never know what to expect. So we're going to be talking about a death row inmate who's been on death row since roughly around 2001, finally gets an execution date set by A.G. Barr. A young mother intentionally running into her baby's father's car in order to kill their child. And three sisters on trial in Russia for murdering their dad in self-defense. At least that's what they claim. So we're going to be talking about a lot. These are some dark, twisted stories, so get ready for that. As always, as I like to say, if you guys enjoy Milk Carton Mysteries, if you like the series, which by our growing numbers on podcast, absolutely, please be sure to head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Milk Carton to get in on the action and to submit your own stories that might appear in future episodes. I want to make sure I know what you guys are saying, how you guys are feeling, and what's going through your mind when you're hearing these things, this way we can have conversations that are clearly going to move into future live streams that is on the horizon, as well as again, recalibrating the voicemail line. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode of Milk Carton Mysteries. And first things first, I got to talk about this story coming out uh, of Washington. Uh, this is, um, a, a, you know, you don't hear much anymore about the death penalty. You really don't hear much about the death penalty anymore. But this is a story where you've got Lesmond Mitchell, a, Na a Native American uh, Navajo Native American who is on federal death row and he is now being scheduled to be executed in late August. And this is not coming from a local court or a local judge or whatever. This is from the United States government. The Department of Justice uh, run by William Barr has come out and said that Lesmond Mitchell is going to die. Now, not just Lesmond Mitchell. In fact, he's going to be one of a handful of inmates that are on federal death row that are going to be put to the death uh, after the Trump administration restored federal executions after basically an informal 17-year mor uh, moratorium. So the federal government had been like, you know what, maybe death penalty doesn't work. Maybe the death penalty isn't a good idea. Maybe it's not the best. But now under A.G. Barr and Trump, for some reason, during all of this situation, you know, dealing with this uh, this COVID, it now seems like a good time to kind of reinstate the death penalty. I, I it just to me seems a little bit weird. Uh, but then again, the financial cost of the death penalty on the taxpayer system is one of the reasons why maybe they are ramping this thing up. If you don't know how much it costs in order to put somebody on death row, uh, look into it. It is insane. The amount of, I think it's like the average cost of life in prison is somewhere around $40,000 a year. I could be wrong, but that's what I'd heard. The average cost of a death row inmate is somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 million. And this is because of all the appeals and the lawyer fees and the court fees and everything else that goes into it. So yes, it is way more expensive to put somebody on death row than it is to keep them locked away for life. That is just the reality of it. But for some reason, our government is wanting to come right in right now and really speed it up a little bit. They want to put that into overdrive while we're dealing with a deadly pandemic that has already claimed the lives of over 150,000 Americans. I just find it to be weird, but okay, fine. Uh, Mitchell here himself has actually been spared 
temporarily by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, where his attorneys were able to successfully argue that they should be able to interview jurors for potential racial bias. This is because he is Native American. Uh, now, the execution date for him, uh, because he was convicted of the 2001 murder of a Navajo woman and her nine-year-old granddaughter, is now going to be set for August 26 at the Federal Correction Complex in Terre Haute, Indiana, where he is currently being held. And this guy, he I don't think anything is really going to stop him at this point. I think we're coming in on, on, on less than a month now. This guy's got left to live uh, after all these years of sitting on death row. Now, if you don't know what he did, if this case is unfamiliar to you, which it was to me until today, here's what he was accused of and what he was ultimately convicted of. Lesmond Mitchell and an accomplice named Alice Slim, kid, uh, or no, an accomplice, kidnapped a woman named Alice Slim, who was 63, and her granddaughter in October of 2001. Their plans were simple. Get Slim's vehicle, use it in a robbery. That was their plan. Somehow, somehow during this very simple, we need a getaway vehicle for a robbery, they decided that they were going to fatally stab Slim and then execute the girl by slitting her throat. Not only that, and that's horrible enough, that's terrible enough, not only that, then they beheaded and mutilated their bodies and left them in a shallow grave on Navajo Nation property. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to steal a vehicle for a robbery, and then you're going to fatally stab a woman slit the throat of her granddaughter, behead them, mutilate their corpses, and then leave them in a shallow grave. That to me feels like absolute overkill and perhaps trying to covering their own tracks. That's the only thing I can really summarize it up to. You know, I, I don't, I, I haven't read anything that suggested there was any kind of vendetta that Mitchell might've had against Slim. It just was a crime of opportunity that just went terrible goes on to say here that despite the grisly nature of the killings, tribal officials and even the victims' families at this point are opposing the death penalty. Native American tribes for decades have been able to tell federal prosecutors that if they want the death sentence considered for certain crimes on their land, nearly all of uh, all them, including the Navajo Nation, have rejected that option. So they don't want death penalty. And this happened on sovereign soil. So... You know, I think the federal government should respect that. And it's cheaper on the taxpayer dollar to respect that. But for some reason, Attorney General William Barr really wants to set this end date for not only Mitchell, but other people as well. So, you know, he was convicted of the carjacking resulting in death, a crime that carries the possible death sentence no matter where it happens, meaning the tribe at this point doesn't have the ability to object. But they have been trying to use public pressure to object and I think it's the right thing to do. I'm not really pro-death penalty, even though this case is terrible and it's despicable and it's disgusting. I am not for that, to be honest with you. I think life in prison uh, is a lot greater of a punishment than lethal injection. So uh, Jonathan Amanoff and Celeste Bashi, these are Lesmond Mitchell's attorneys. They have said that the federal government's announcement that it now plans to execute Lesmond Mitchell demonstrates the ultimate disrespect for the Navajo Nation's values and sovereignty. I mean, obviously that's a lawyer comment to make, but if the laws are that this crime, carjacking in, that results in death, and not only that, but like double homicide 
and the mutilation and, and beheading of these of these bodies and dumping them in, in a shallow grave. Uh, it, I think it would kind of supersede that at this point. But again, I'm all for life in prison. So in the, this is what it says. Mitchell is also scheduled to be put to death the same week as Keith Dwayne Nelson, who was convicted of kidnapping a 10-year-old girl while she was rollerblading in front of her Kansas home, raping her in a forest behind the church uh, next to her home, and then strangling her. So, you know, when you hear the crimes that these people on federal death row have committed, I don't think many of you, if I'm being honest, are even going to look at it two times. You're not going to blink. You're not going to, you're not going to question it. You're just going to be like, yeah, take them out back, put two of them, put them in the ground, have it be over with. And that is the mentality of a lot of people, especially when there's kids involved. But we don't live in that world. We, we don't live in the instant hanging world of the wild, wild west that we've seen in movies and entertainment. The, there, there are checks and balances. There is a legal system. There's a justice system. This is the rules that they put in place. And the financial cost and time that it takes in order to put somebody on death row and to carry out that act is, in many cases, insurmountable. It is just, it is so freaking expensive. Instead, the better course of actions, and this is my opinion, and you could agree or disagree, and as always, I want to hear what you have to say, would be put them in life in prison, federal hard time life in prison, in a work camp. Make them regret every single one of their actions that led them to that moment of, of confinement. And then maybe, just maybe, get something productive out of them with society. Otherwise, they sit in a little box 23 hours a day, sucking up taxpayer money until maybe, maybe they get executed. And it's a, and it's a pattern or it's a, it's a method that we've been moving away from. As I said earlier, the federal government has put on a 17-year moratorium on this until now. For some reason, at what could be the end of Donald Trump's presidency, they are now ramping up the death penalty. I don't, I don't get it. It's not like the felons can vote, right? It's not like the felons can vote. So, I mean, it's not really taking things off the table. I, I don't get it. Maybe you have a better answer. Maybe you have a better idea on this one. Let me know down in uh, the comments on YouTube. Find me on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton. I really want to hear what you guys have to say about this. And uh, let's move on. Now, the second story here uh, is a tragedy because a, a, a young, a, a, three, a three-month-old girl is dead. And these stories are hard for me to cover because my youngest daughter turns one next week. In fact, we are planning her party, which is why this episode is going out so late. So I can only, I just, I, it's so hard for me to cover these things because I think of my daughters, you know, my, my young children who I spend all day with and I love. So this is what we know. Titiana Phillips, that's her name. Titiana Phillips, 21 years old from Atlanta, has been charged with murder after she allegedly crashed her car intentionally, killing her three month old daughter. Yeah. Now. She was arrested and charged with felony murder and aggravated assault on Monday after ramming her vehicle into a car driven by the child's father, Undra Henderson, while her daughter was inside. The crash occurred about 7 p.m. Uh, last week when Henderson, 27 years old, 
was getting ready to leave after he placed his daughter in his car, his three-month-old daughter, uh, Kiandra. So let me just paint this picture because this, the story is maybe not framing it the right way. It wasn't like Titiana had Kiandra in her car and crashed into Henderson's car. It was the opposite. It was Andra Henderson put three-month-old Kiandra into his car, and then he was leaving, and then he was at a stop sign, and then she rammed him repeatedly. That's what happened. Now, the preliminary investigation has revealed that authorities say Henderson was stopped at a stop sign when Phillips drove her car into his car, pushing it across the intersection and into a telephone pole. So if he is stopped at an intersection, foot on the brake, car still in drive, but foot on the brake, she would have had to have gotten a good amount of speed to ram right into the back of his car and push him into a telephone pole. And if you've seen photos of what this car looks like, yeah, you get it. You absolutely get it. Like this car was totaled, 100% totaled. And then she struck his car several more times. Police do say that the uh, crash was intentional, but they haven't given a motivation as to why. Uh, Undra Henderson was transported to Grady Memorial Hospital, is now in stable condition. His daughter was taken to the same medical facility in critical condition. And tragically, Keandra did not survive. And that's terrible. It's terrible because on the other morning, Undra Henderson actually shared an article about this on Facebook. And he wrote, blessed to be alive, but without Keandra, this shit don't even matter. And you know, a couple of years ago, guys, I'll be honest, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have understood what that meant because I didn't have kids. I wouldn't have understood what that in, in what that entailed, what that what that meaning, what that belief was. You know, and that whole changes the first time you hold your child. That I remember holding my daughter, my my two and a half year old, the first time. I was scared, so scared to be a dad. I remember holding her for the first time, and uh, and looking at her for the first time, and and just being full of love. And then when my second daughter was born a year ago. I was the first person to hold her, um, and uh, and it was crazy, you know. And here it is a year later. She's walking, uh, getting ready to to talk. I think, and uh, just beautiful, you know. And so, I could only imagine the pain and suffering that Andra Henderson is going through. And my heart, every ounce of it, goes out to him with sympathy, uh, because. Right now, the investigation is still ongoing. There's no motive that they know of. There's absolutely no motive that they've talked about yet. I'm sure that that news will come out over time. And I don't want to speculate too hard on this one because I don't know the details. Is it postpartum? Is it just anger? I mean, we don't know. But I do want to hear your theories. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Let me know down in the comments on YouTube. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash yeah, <laughs> groups forward slash the milk carton. Uh, and let's hope that the family can get past this and heal. Although 
it's words that do kind of feel meaningless to say out loud because how do you, you know? And that's something that I, I, I don't want to ever remove the humanity when talking about some of these stories. I've been accused of it, but I don't want to do that because it's not right. There are victims. Andre Henderson is a victim, and I hope he, uh, I just wish him the best. That's all I can say. Anyway, let me hear your thoughts. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton. So, all right, guys, finally tonight, let's talk about the story coming out of Russia. Because, you know, that's always fun, right? Going over to Russia. There's a story that happened. It's a couple years old. Happened in 2018. Three sisters killed their father in self-defense. That's what they claim after he abused them and sexually assaulted them and everything. And you figure at this point it would have been kind of cut and dry. A couple of years of this, there's been a lot of outpouring of support from people in Russia. Celebrities have come out and said stuff. But no, prosecutors are actually wanting to, uh, well, prosecutor wants to drop it. It's the, it's the investigators that won't drop it. It's the investigators that want to keep going with this, which is interesting. So I'm going to butcher the hell out of this last name. So please don't mind me on this one. But Mikhail... Uh, Cacker Krakatoon, I'm screwing it up. I'm so sorry. Anyway, Mikhail, we're going to call him that, was found on a staircase in a Moscow apartment back in July 2018 with a with dozens, not a dozen, I read that wrong, dozens of knife wounds to his chest and neck. A few hours before his death, he had actually just returned from a psychiatric clinic where he then lined up his three daughters to chastise them for a messy apartment. Not only that, but he pepper sprayed their faces because the apartment was messy. And one of the uh, daughters, uh, Christina, she actually fainted because she has asthma. So it triggered her asthma so hard that she just collapsed. And this is coming from investigators and the sister's lawyers that are all confirming that this is what happened. And that on that night, the three sisters, Christina, Angelina, and Maria, 19, 18, and 17, respectively, decided to kill their father. So, I mean, before we get into the nitty gritty of it, it almost, you have to question. I mean, is pepper spraying your kids in the face worth dying over? I'm not justifying the actions. I'm merely posing it as a question. A thought experiment, if you will. Right off the bat, the answer, my answer would be obviously not, but there's more to the story. So what they did is they attacked him with a hammer, a knife, and the same can of pepper spray he had turned on them earlier. Interrogation transcripts ultimately leaked out to the press and they were verified by CNN through a lawyer for one of the sisters that they show that the women in tried to inflict wounds on themselves to make it seem as if their father, who was sleeping at the start of the attack, had struck them with the knife first. Then they called the police and an ambulance. So, okay, this takes a, a wicked turn. These girls beat, bludgeon and stab their father to death after he attacked them with pepper spray. Then after they've killed him, they go, wait, hold on. We got to make it look like we were acting in self-defense. So they fake a whole bunch of wounds on them in order to make it appear like they were attacked and they were just defending themselves. But then the next day, the three were arrested and they confessed to the killing, saying here that they had endured years 
of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse from their father. And this is according to their lawyers and the Russian prosecutor's general office. So they'd already been victims of sexual abuse, physical abuse, and emotional abuse for years. And then just this was the tipping point. But they still had to fake it as if it was, I, they still had to fake. That's what I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around, this, this whole faking it thing. Now, domestic violence experts, along with the sister's defense team, did say that in the absence of adequate protective mechanisms within law enforcement and the court system, their only choice was to defend themselves or eventually die at their father's hands. And I think that particular line of thought is something that's going to be heavily debated because, yes, I do believe that in the absence of adequate protective mechanisms, which is their terminology here, within the law, the, the legal system and the court system, these girls probably felt trapped and they felt this was their only way out. But then them trying to fake it is what I get stuck on. But it goes a little bit deeper because according to text messages obtained from their father's phone and published on Facebook, Mikhail was a piece of shit. He had threatened to kill them and sexually abuse them and their mother. So this guy was psychotic. I think we can agree on that front. This dude was nuts, right? And so he sent text messages like this. This is literally what he says. I will beat you up for everything. I will kill you. This is from April 2018, only months before they had uh, uh, killed him. And he accused them of having sexual relations with a male friend, saying, you are prostitutes. You will die as prostitutes. So this guy clearly loathed his children. Didn't love them. He loathed them. And he, he hated them from the sounds of this. Now, the interrogation transcripts go on to paint this chilling picture of the mental, physical, and sexual abuse dating back at least four years prior to the killing. So for four years, according to these interrogation logs, these girls were subjected to some seriously bad stuff. And then one day they snapped. And I think that is why there's that public outpouring of support. Why people like the lead singer of System of a Down are coming out and defending them. Because four years of this abject abuse and torture. I mean, everyone has a breaking point sometime, right? Now, according uh, to one of their lawyers, Aleski Parshin, this is what he says. We think that they had no other choice. The father drove the girls to despair. Their whole life was a contentious hell. They are continuous hell, sorry. They cannot be compared to healthy, calm, balanced people. The girls developed serious mental illnesses, including abuse syndrome and PTSD. This was all confirmed by examinations in the case. And based upon just the information I've gathered here, it seems very, very much that that is what happened. So at first, public pressure seemed to have turned the case around, though, for the girls, right? This is where it gets a little bit weird because the public pressure... Like I said, had mounted. It, it, the story came out. It broke big. Everyone was talking about it. There was an outpouring of support. Like, no, these girls did the only thing that they could. They're victims here. They're not the perpetrators. You know, Mikhail is not the victim. He's the, he's the aggressor who got what he deserved. All of these things. And even the prosecutor's office was all for this too. So in January of this year, 2020, the prosecutor's office confirmed allegations made by the defense that the sisters had suffered beating, constant humiliation, threats and abuse, physical and sexual violence, and that they defend, uh, developed a defensive reaction. The prosecutors also 
then ordered the investigative committee committee to reclassify this case from premeditated murder to necessary self-defense. And that, again, that's going to be a very large topic for conversation. Is what they did premeditated murder or was it necessary self-defense? And that is going to be the question that I, I have. I want you guys to answer, too, because I'm sure it's going to go. It may go both ways. I don't know. I think a lot of you are going to aim on the side of it was necessary. And I think some of you are going to sit there and go, why didn't you all this GTFO and go to someplace safe and go tell the cops or something along those lines? I think it's going to be a very interesting debate on this one, but I want to hear it. Definitely. So then Parshin uh, told the state news agency that at the time, the move essentially means the end of the criminal investigation against the sisters who faced up to 20 years in prison under the premeditated murder charge. So you've, you've got the guy, uh, you've got the lawyer that's saying the prosecutor here is like, look, downgrade this to self-defense. And that basically ends the criminal investigation. So it's not going to be as bad. But in a stunning reversal, Victor uh, Grin, the same prosecutor who first recommended downgrading the case, confirmed back in May that the premeditated murder charge would indeed be laid against the sisters and no explanation was given. So this dude, a few months earlier, four or five months earlier, was all like, you know what? Lower it down. Lower it down. Let's go for self-defense. You know, uh, let's, let's, not, let's not make it premeditated murder. We're just going to call it necessary self-defense. Everyone's going to be good, 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 good. A few months later just changes his mind. No, no explanation given. And then at the end of all this, this is why it's being talked about now. So after this whole long and crazy pre-trial investigation, the trial for the sisters begins this upcoming Friday. So really tomorrow in a Moscow courtroom, which is why people are talking about it now, because this is back in the news. The two elder sisters, Christina and Angelina, will stand trial together. Maria, who was a minor at the time, but still indicted after she turned 18, has also been deemed mentally unfit to commit a murder and will be tried separately on her own murder charge, according to the lawyers. So that's unfortunate. And at this point, we have to wait and see what's going on. I don't know what kind of public pressure is going to uh, turn this case around. My personal take on it is, it feels like it was a necessary self-defense. Four years of abuse and torture, mental, the physical, uh, emotional, all of these things, to me, feels like there was something terrible that happened. Many things terrible that happened. These text messages showcase what kind of monster they were living with, and they felt they had to do something, and this is what they chose to do. I personally wish there would have been a better way to do it. These girls are were young. We're talking 17, 16, 15 at the time. They don't know any better. They've been, this is what they believe is the best course of action. We have to ask those questions. The law asks those questions. The court system asks those questions. But we as just the peanut gallery, the court of public opinion, I personally don't condemn them in spirit. I don't like their actions, but I don't condemn them in spirit. I get it. But I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this one. I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. Let me know down, comment section on YouTube. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton. And I really want to hear it because this is a crazy story and one that needs to be talked about because domestic abuse needs to be ex exposed. So this kind of thing doesn't even start to begin with.
and there clearly would have been warning signs. It's a failure across the board, and this is what it led to. As always, I just want to hear what you guys have to say about this, so let me know. All right, guys, that wraps up today's episode of Milk Carton Mysteries. <laughs> kind of a, a woo, right? Crazy stuff going on in the world today. I don't know where the world's going to take us tomorrow. Quite literally, day to day, anything can happen. There's a story I wanted to cover of a dude who killed his landlord with a katana sword over a rent dispute. That will probably be safe for tomorrow, provided nothing else crazier comes across my desk. This is this is the crazy world with, with, with Milk Carton Mysteries. And again, I know I keep saying it, and I'm going to keep saying it until you keep joining it. To get more stories that don't end up in the podcast or to submit your own, head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the milk carton. If you like the show and you want to support it and you're on YouTube, become a channel member, $1.99 a month. It really does help out. A few of you have already joined. That's fantastic. Thank you. I am going to be revamping my Patreon in order to better uh, provide value. I want to do more where maybe on the weekends dive into a single case, a single story rather than just kind of a mishmash of what I come across, as well as expand into weirder news for perhaps another weekly show. But that's something to discuss down the road. Again, your thoughts, your opinions. I can't wait to hear them because you guys are as addicted to this as I am. And I know it because I've been watching those numbers go up on the podcast on, on Anchor FM forward slash Milk Carton Mysteries, as well as iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify and all that stuff. You guys are great. I really appreciate it. Thank you again. I'll see you tomorrow, hopefully a little bit earlier in the day, I admit. I got that one-year-old birthday party. It messes with my day. Have a good one, everybody, and uh, peace out.